<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica uh, in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. we got a great show for you today. Um, we're going to be talking with Joe Jerome. He returns um, from the Future of Privacy Forum on their report on privacy in the sharing economy. We're going to be talking about that and, and what, the, what the implications are for the sh- in terms of privacy when we talk about the sharing economy. And we'll t- talk in, about what exactly the sharing economy means. But generally, I'll give you a hint, the word Uber comes, is one that comes to mind. Um, and then we'll have some news updates later. We do have one bit of breaking news. Apparently, the New York Stock Exchange has halted trading um, for some technical issue. Last night, there was a tweet from Anonymous saying, wonder if tomorrow is going to be bad for Wall Street. We can only hope. So I don't know if if they are involved in any way with the, quote, technical issue they're experiencing, but um, definitely an interesting day in Wall Street. But Joe, um, are you with us? Yes, Bennett. Thanks for having me. Um, Are you you doing any active trading today? (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, I am checking my mint feverishly, though. <laughs> so um, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, this actually, um, you're, you're coming here today. I was I ran to your boss, Aaron, Jules Polonetsky, at the Stanford e-commerce best practices um, forum, and um, it was always great, it was great to see him and catch up. Definitely recommended you. And I was interested in talking, to, having someone come from about this report. So tell us about, um, first of all, for those who aren't familiar with the Future Privacy Forum, why don't you give us a little blurb about um, what they are? Ah, so uh, Future Privacy Forum, we, we call ourselves FPF, was founded about eight years ago. Um, we're based in Washington, D.C. We try and bring together industry and advocates, consumer advocates, privacy advocates, and and regulators to sort of hammer out responsible data practices. Um, Privacy is a big word that means a lot of different things, um, and there's a lot of data in the world today. Um, And we're trying to basically get everybody on the same page to sort of move forward in a way that's responsible, in a way that, you know, respects individuals' privacy and allows you all sorts of different benefits of using data. Um, Obviously, easier said than done, but that's our mission and that's what we work on. You know, if you look at your uh, board, or I'm not sure if it's a, to your formal board or the advisory board, but it's like a who, who, who's who in in privacy in America. I mean, it's really quite impressive. But thank you. I'm sure Jules would be pleased to hear that. We we try and have um, you know basically any company that has a chief privacy officer, basically any company in general today has to deal with privacy issues, and um, we like to have their input. We try and engage with the, the whole world of privacy academics um, that are constantly coming up with new privacy theories. And then, obviously, there's a lot of different advocacy groups across the country that we try to engage with pretty regularly. And just for background, um, you know, one of the founders of the Future Privacy Forum is, is your boss, Jules Polonesky, who had been the um, chief of privacy at AOL. And um, and a number of other organizations. He's had quite a long career in the space and was was quite well known. Um, And actually at AOL, I thought he did a really good job in trying to explain 
privacy in a way that consumers can understand it. I, that, I, that's uh, incredibly flattering. Um, he de- Jules definitely has a, a way with words. He uh, and I think this sort of gets to sort of how we try and work. He initially, before he got into the tech sector, um, was actually a politician. He was probably one of the few politicians to run as both a Democrat and a Republican in in New York. Um, And so he did consumer affairs. And um, really part of what we try and do is tell companies that it's really important to communicate with consumers. Um, You know, communication is really key and you can alleviate a lot of fears and alleviate a lot of concerns about privacy just by sort of explaining what you're doing. Um, There's a lot of room to improve that, um, both in, you know, the tech industry in general and I think as we'll discuss in the sharing economy in particular. Right. And I think, but I think that that is, hits the nail on the head is that one of, even if we do explain what it is we're going to do to consumers or, you know, what, what, what the, um, equation is in terms of what information are they giving up and what benefits are they getting for it? Even, you know, the problem is, is con- it's, it's explained in detail privacy policies and consumers may not understand it. So, you know, you, you're at the, the nub of the issue is do consumers understand what the, the bargain they're, they're entering? Well, I mean, we asked, is this a broad question in general? I, I think in a lot of cases, consumers might not really understand what they're getting. Um, I, if we're talking about the sharing economy in particular, I think um, our report, which I hopefully plug a little bit here, uh, found that practices vary across the board. I mean, A, you just have companies with different business models, different sizes, different scopes, different audiences. But I, I think because of the sharing economy, I actually think it, it maybe I'm being um, idealistic here. Uh, I think these types of companies, because so much of their business model is about directly engaging with consumers and matching them up with other consumers, they have a a large incentive to be really clear. Um, All these companies generally have complicated privacy policies. Sometimes the privacy policies are basically just boilerplate and overbroad. But many of them also do a really good job through basic FAQs, I guess, user guidelines to try and explain um, what they're doing with data, why they need certain types of data, what they expect from their users, and basically give users a, a pretty clear idea of what they're getting out of out of the exchange. So let's jump into the report, um, which you are one of the three authors, along with um, Benedict Dambreen and Ben Ambrose. What is the sharing economy? Well, that is the that is the million dollar question. It's your double jeopardy question. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if, you, if you don't know what the sharing economy is, I, I feel like you can just say Uber and Airbnb and you sort of get the concept. But, but really what it is, is it's, it's basically a term to describe the exchange of, of human or physical resources between two people. You know, where, you know, one person needs a good, you know, product A and another person has that good and is willing to let them borrow it or rent it. This has been going on throughout human history. Uh, peer-to-peer exchanges, the sharing economy, that's basically sort of how, I almost want to say how bartering worked. It's not necessarily even new in the online space. eBay is a perfect example of the sharing economy, and eBay has been in existence for decades. But really, I think the sharing economy has become such a big buzzword now is you have new online and mobile platforms. Again, smartphones are facilitating so many different things. And these platforms allow startups to sort of match people with needs and wants much easier than it's ever been before. And they're also able to sort of provide a platform that allows you to do it through um, sort of, you know, customized and user-friendly interface and match people really easily. The internet, ubiquitous connectivity, and smartphones have allowed these things to sort of grow at a scale that's just sort of unimaginable. I mean, you, you try and think of, some, again, you try and think of something like Uber without smartphones or 20 years ago, and it's just the, the scale, right. the, the, the speed at which it's, it's, it's expanded is just unimaginable. No, and, and you're right. It has, it has been around a while. I actually worked at a, a, a failed dot com that in um, 1999, 2000, that was um, in 2001, that the, one of their one of their units was a, a bartering site. Um, it didn't quite, yeah, obviously it didn't take it was, off. It was and, too early. It was too early, and you know, they didn't really quite have the model and the platform that these sites have. Um, but when we talk about the sharing economy, when you mention the word Uber, and then you have the word privacy in the same sentence, <laughs> you know, Uber has been under a lot of um, criticism for its its privacy practices. 
you know, from its you know tracking what is called rides to glory. Yes. Um, you know the uh, figuring oh, out you know, where you. who was doing yeah the, uh, who was having one night stands um, based on the the, the pickup and drop off times. Um, and then the God view where they would they allow people to see where famous people, you know, in some of their presentations, you know, where reporters or other famous people were at any given point in time. You know, they, they don't come to, come to this discussion with a very good reputation to begin with. Well, so I think a point the, – there's two points here. First, um, I mean, our report basically is tr- basically looking at the peer-to-peer exchange. How are you developing respect right. privacy and trust between users? Um, and our report doesn't actually look at how you deal with, I mean, because there's, you think about the sharing economy, you have two users, but truthfully now you have a platform as an intermediary. And that platform is just as important to the exchange um, and is just as important to have a trust relationship. And it's just as important for that platform to respect your privacy as the other user. Um, so that, that's actually something we're, we're hoping to explore. Um, we've got a couple other papers cooking on that topic. So that, that's point one. Point two is you're you're definitely right that Uber has had some has had some issues with privacy. I, Uber, I think, is in general a a very I want to say provocative and exciting company. I think they like to to break rules and um, you know ask for, for ask for forgiveness, not permission, and it's worked right. out really well. There's there's no question that they that they offer an incredibly beneficial and valuable service, and there are plenty of people that now swear by Uber and you know you know look at basic taxi cab services and wonder how they can't be po- how how they can just you know <laughs> they're not in the same ballpark in terms of quality of service as uber um now i mean in terms of like uber and it, its privacy issues I, I think i think they've actually been um pretty harshly punished for all of those snafus that there's there's no question that certainly some people have 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 used uber less since then um i i, I can i've spoken to other people in sort of the, uh, I want to say like domestic violence community, um, yeah. and, and they look at practices like this, and, and they swear by Uber. So Uber, or, and they, uh, sorry, um, they swear basically, at Uber. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, they swear at Uber. So Uber has definitely taken a reputational hit, and they've had to respond to that. I mean, the, they had to hire a high priced. Um, law firm to audit all of their privacy practices. They had to. They put out a, which this law firm then put out a, a report that came up with a bunch of different recommendations that Uber needed to, to, to sort of do. They've really, you know, I, I sometimes think privacy advocates don't think this is enough, but you know, Uber has had to staff up with new privacy professionals. They've had to like build a privacy team. And they've had, and they, and to their credit, they've implemented all sorts of new transparency and communications features. They've revised their privacy policy. You know, one thing that Uber has done that they got a lot of they got a lot of criticism criticism for this in the last year is that you know I, I, people passengers weren't aware um, that Uber drivers were reviewing them. You know, you could review your right. Uber driver, but you didn't realize you were getting reviewed in um, in re, in a turn yeah in return. And you know, people there were passengers who uh, I think you know Maureen Dowd did a really interesting op in the New York Times where she was discussing how she had a really she found out she had a really low passenger rating because she had kept drivers waiting. And similarly, people that were using Uber late at night um, and were you know intoxicated and otherwise rude were finding themselves having a hard time getting Uber cars. Um, and you know, the, the, this is sort of problematic. And, and Uber, to its credit, has done a lot more transparency um, about the sort of rating system and what your ratings are. Um, and, and I don't know if this is news to you or, or any of your listeners, but I mean, they actually, Uber quietly rolled out a feature where in-app you can now request your, um, your, your passenger rating. Um, oh. it's, a little, it's a function. You have to go into the, the settings, you push a button, and they'll email you um, your aggregated number. Um, and uh, you What's know, yours? truthfully, I don't put Uber on my phone. I, I'm a big believer in public transportation, so I tend to walk well, around anyway. That's true. And you live in Washington, where you, that that you can actually say that. Um. But I have had to go around and help all of my friends who were like, "What, really? I could get my rating?" Or the, a, they didn't know they could. They had a rating. B, once they realized that there was a rating, they had no idea how to actually get it. I'm, you know, having to grab their phones and go in and, and request their numbers for them. And you know, it's 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 surprising. I, I, you know, Uber did this very quietly, and uh, you know, but it's it's really a big boon to transparency, and you know, a good way to sort of help moder or moderate how these sort of peer to peer exchanges are working. You really sort of helps if both both people on the, both sides of the equation can sort of understand what the what their rating is, so they can sort of gauge what the rules of the road are because. 
you know, one of the one of the real challenges with the sharing economy is there's a lot of data floating around. Um, a lot of this data is going toward building an online reputation, and online reputation is is really going to be um, the the thing that drives the sharing economy, and and may in fact drive other parts of our economy in the future. Um, and if you don't know how that reputation is created and what's going into it, and have any access to it, you have a you have a real problem. I'm not necessarily from, even from a privacy perspective, but from a larger like ethical perspective, and then you know just being able to participate in basic economic transactions. I, I think it is useful um, you know, to know that. I was actually, while you were answering, quickly trying to see if I could get, get my, um, my score while we're on the air <laughs> without necessarily do, do, I need to, do I need to try and walk you through the steps of how to get it? Actually, if you, if you know off the top of your head, I'd be curious. It'd be interesting to see what, what, the, what it is while we're on. But um, how do you do it? So I do believe that you have to go in and uh, I think it's in the, the FAQ, the, the help section. Oh, okay. I, and I, one, I, towards the bottom, there'll be one request my rating. Yes. Okay. All right. So I was at about. All right. So let's go to help and request my rating. And um, how to use Uber, Uber for business. It's under account or under? Uh, how do you, I believe it's in how to, how to use Uber. How to use Uber. Requesting a ride, payment, whatever. Actually, no, it, it, you're right. It's, it, it's in account. Account. I'd like to know my rating. Okay. I, I think my account is compromised. I'd like to know my rating. All right. Submit. All right. We'll find out. Um, stay tuned. Um, and, <laughs> It'll be breaking news at the end of the podcast. <laughs> well, that like, little, ah. you know, breaking news noise. You know, forget about the New York Stock Exchange. Everyone must know what my rating is. But um, so... Um, I gotta. We gotta take a break in a few minutes, but um, I just want to ask a quick question. So, um, this report came about because the FTC was actually doing a study on privacy, and or having a conference on yes. privacy in the um, sharing economy. Correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a broader conference than that. They they're looking at a whole host of issues in the sharing economy, and among them being. Um, well, so a lot of it was, you know. I, we were actually went in expecting there to be stuff about sort of the, the labor issues, but really the major the thrust of the conference was reputation management. And- okay. Um, well, we're going to take a short break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the findings of this study and um, and how you can uh, interact and in, in your protect your privacy in the sharing economy. After these messages, you're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoff also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoff offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoff.com slash radio, T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know they're SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. 
This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and uh, I do not have my rating just yet, but we're talking <laughs> to Joe Jerome of the Future Privacy Forum about privacy and the sharing economy. And so, Joe, um, you were looking at basically the ways users can control or find, or from my, you know, just we, as we just discussed, in my case, you know, find out you know, what is your, your privacy rating? What were you finding and looking at on um, the various platforms? Who was doing it right? Who, you know, who, could, who could improve? Well, I, I feel bad having to name names. Um, so first, I, I think what was really interesting when we started looking at this, and this gets to the idea of you know, what is the sharing economy, I want to say at this point, dozens of companies and new startups that are showing up every day that are trying to get a piece of this market, but they're really doing it in a lot of different ways. So, you know, we were breaking things down by looking at, like, the transportation sector, or hospitality, or retail goods. When you start doing that, you realize that um, basically the types of access rights, the types of reputation systems that these um, platforms use to try and, you know, evaluate how all their users are behaving or how good they are, um, are, are is, is really very different. And so what's appropriate for one might not be appropriate for others. Um, you know, yeah. We, we initially um, were going to give, like, actual, like, uh, grades to all of these companies, but then um, we realized that it didn't necessarily work out you know, simply because certain of them, you know, so like Craigslist, for example, you could, Craigslist is a, a perfect example of, of a sharing economy platform that actually doesn't really use reputation. It's all functionally anonymous. So it's, it's really good from a privacy perspective, um, but it's, it's, Craigslist isn't all that great if you're trying to, say, build a reputation. And so as a result, you know, when people are trying to buy things on Craigslist, it's sort of a take it or leave it or your mileage may vary type of situation. So, I mean, I guess if you're looking at more traditional companies, um, we actually found like it, Uber, despite, again, all of its privacy snafus in the past year, is actually really strong now in terms of like what it's giving users you know, it, the ability sort of, so I, I guess let me, let me discuss sort of what we looked at. Um, sure. So we had three broad categories. One was sort of access rights. You know, did right. you have access to whatever your profile or your reputation was on the platform in the sharing economy? Um, did you have the ability to sort of challenge reviews or correct things that were wrong? Um, and then finally, this didn't necessarily have to so much do with reputation or your profile would be account deletion. Um, you know, at FPF, we're big believers that if, if you want to leave a service, you should be able to take your data, they should delete your data, and they should be not have any, you should be done with them. Across the sharing economy, again, wide varies. There's a, there's a number of companies that, um, you know, didn't provide clear instructions about, as to how to go about deleting your account information. Or, you know, they would talk about deleting your account information, and instead it would be deactivating your account, and there'd be no clear guidance as to, you know, what that meant and how you could actually firmly delete your stuff and go. You know, the practices were sort of all over the place. Challenge and correction, that was another thing that, you know, maybe it's not so important now, but if if you think about reputation being really important in the future of the sharing economy and, and in the aftermath of this, this uh, FTC conference, there were a number of interesting articles that basically came up with the idea that in the future it's going to be reputation and not regulation that govern these things. And, and so if reputation is going to be that important, you really need to think long and hard about whether people should have the right to challenge things. If, 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 if your reputation gets dinged in a way that you, A, aren't aware of, so that's why access isn't so important, but you, you feel is incorrect, you, you may need to have some ability to explain yourself. And so I guess, you know, if we're handing out a gold star on privacy, or at least on, on thinking about reputation, big, big fans of Airbnb. Um, they do, they've done a lot of thinking about how to make sure reviews are done in a way where you're not sort of retaliating. I mean, one of, one of the big problems you, you'll find with sharing economy reviews, and this, is, this isn't necessarily new, this, this, is, this is something that Amazon has had to deal with, with just basic reviews of products, um, is basically people who are upset give you a one, and people that are, you know, ambivalent will give you a five. Um, and so there isn't a lot of effective like uh, you know, variation in scores, simply because you know people a are, are I guess are fear of retaliation or you know fear of upsetting people. So you know you really have a problem with the the your your reputation maybe not meaning exactly what it means, um, and 
to its credit, Airbnb does sort of, uh, it's been described as sort of like a, a double blind review system where people, um, the, the person that stays in the place and the people that, and the person that like uh, rents out their, their dwelling, um, they do their reviews independently without seeing each other. That you, you can edit them within a certain amount of time. They give you the ability to reply to users. They give you the ability to sort of reply to the, the platform itself if you really have problems. And then Airbnb, obviously, they, they give you the option to delete your account. Um, so, you know, Airbnb has really sort of thought through its reputation system. Oh, the most sorry. important thing is you only can review after you've completed a transaction, after you've, you've stayed. Yes. You yes. can't just openly review anyone and say, oh, these guys suck or these guys don't. Well, so, so at different points in time, Airbnb has actually implemented a different, I mean, their, their base review system is based on verified inputs. So, you know, you, you stay, you can leave a review, but they also allow people to sort of, um, uh, you know, link in social network information, have their friends write reviews to vouch for that, vouch for them. Um, so they, they do a whole sorts of, you know, different, I, I want to say like shortcuts to allow people to really sort of express their online reputation. And I think they do it well, and I'm glad you highlighted them because I think they do it well. Um, and you mentioned that having the friends vouch for them because this, it, it really is, um, it's not just privacy, but you know, the value, the information is very valuable because you're talking about um, you going to someone else's home and someone else coming into your home. That you know that that's safety. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not even valuable. It's it's incredibly sensitive. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I think to their credit, they've they've thought long and hard about these things. Uh, so you know, I, I guess if we're if we're trying to like rate different sharing economy platforms, Airbnb is sort of the 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 company to beat, um, but I, I guess I just want to say that you know I don't think anyone I don't think any of these companies are necessarily doing anything malicious or I think a lot of it is they're they're startups it's all these new business ideas let's see how we can sort of leverage the fact that um, people have a lot of unused goods or unused to- or time on their hands to try and offer services and you know. Know, match people, and you know it's these tech startups that sort of they start up overnight. They have good ideas, um, and you know the privacy issues are the last thing they're thinking about here. They're just trying to figure out how to match people, and they're not necessarily thinking about all the data they're collecting. And then they're not necessarily thinking about the fact that they've collected all of this data. Some of it very sensitive, some of it very personal, um, and you know are able to sort of explore that data to do other new and unique ways. They just, I, I think. You know the, these companies get off the bat really fast, and then don't don't aren't necessarily thinking about what the implications are. Um, right. And so for for users, I, I think that can be really challenging. You know, again, Airbnb and Uber have sort of reached a sort of critical mass. Um, but you know, we reviewed like twelve different sharing economy companies, and if you look at different um, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers put out a report on the sharing economy that you know has like a, a chart with dozens of these companies um some of them are you know very hyper localized only running in a couple of cities um others you know have at this point like global reach so there's a there's a there's different business models in play here they're all doing very different things and you know i i'm I'm afraid you're going to be asking for advice to users but really uh you know these are early days, and I think um, if you're interested in exploring, if as a user you're interested in what one of these platforms is offering, um, you know there there's a sort of a I almost want to say buyer beware to an extent for some of the newer platforms that are less sure. Trusted. Let's go through. So just you know, so know who we're talking about. Yeah, and, and you guys did a good job of breaking them into categories. So in transportation, you have Lyft, Sidecard, and Uber, and then in hospitality, you have Airbnb, HomeAway. And couch surfing, I wasn't familiar with them. Are they, you're not. They, you're not familiar with couch surfing. Oh, I've, I mean, I've done a lot of couch surfing, but I'm not familiar well, so, with the company. Well, so clearly, you understand the concept. If you've done yes. a lot of couch surfing, they've just, of course, turned it to scale. I, I actually have a number of friends who who swear by couch surfing, um, and and couch surfing is is actually an interesting case because what's what's really interesting is a lot of these. Uh, uh, these platforms integrate social media and like they'll integrate Facebook to see like, Oh, we share friends. So we're more trustworthy. Right. Um, but really like couch surfing is actually one that is functionally building a, a, a couch surfing social network of its own. Um, you know, I have a number of friends who, and there are, there are couch surfing meetups and people can, you know, uh, c- uh, gather together through couch surfing. 
but basically couchsurfing allows people, you know, if you're, if you're looking, if, if you don't want to, you know, actually rent out a place through like Airbnb or you, I guess if this is now two steps removed from a hotel. Um, but if you're in a foreign city and you're happy to just sleep on a couch and, you know, meet somebody new, that's what couchsurfing facilitates. So and then, um, r- retail goods, you have Etsy, eBay, and neighbor goods. Yes. And I'm not familiar with neighbor goods. Um, and then in services, you have TaskRabbit. Instacart and Zarly. Not very familiar with either of the, any of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's interesting how you know again everybody knows Airbnb and Uber, but there are so many other uh, companies. Um, so t- you know TaskRabbit. Um, basically, if you have some sort of, uh, I guess I want to say errand. Uh, or you want someone to come to your house and put together your IKEA furniture? TaskRabbit can connect you with someone <laughs> like that. Um, Instacart, um, Instacart sort of um, is does a lot of sort of like grocery type stuff. Um, there's 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 lots of good uh, imagery of, of of people like going to all the grocery stores and filling Instacart bags and bringing them back to your apartment. Um, so again, like basically any service you can think of where someone might need something and another person might have it. Um, one of the things we didn't really have enough time to look into and that I would have liked to, a couple of my, my coworkers actually used some of the, uh, uh, I want to say like clothing rental and clothing sharing um, companies, which I guess makes me a little bit squeamish. But Yeah, the word, the word ooh, it's <laughs> <hates> my head. <laughs> but, 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 you know, functionally it's no, I mean, aside from the fact that it's moderated online and done, you know, through apps and through a, a you know, a web portal, it's really functionally no different from flea markets or, you know, going to, you know, vintage clothing shop. Um, I mean, obviously, again, your, your, your issue is you have a, a potential trust deficit, um, but, you, you know, you tend to alleviate that by, you know, forking over a lot of your personal information and trying to sort of establish a reputation on the platform. Going back to Uber and the rating system, what what is it out of? Is it out of five, ten, a hundred? It's out of five. Um, okay, I got a five. <laughs> you got a five. Congratulations! So I guess you're going to have no trouble getting uh, anybody to pick you up. So let's at least for now until but, they hear until they hear this episode and my rating right, change. Right. But I mean, but, but again, to go back to my earlier point about how rating systems can be really strange. I mean, so you know, an Uber. If you have, I, I want to say and again, I apologize to the Uber drivers and Uber if I'm getting this wrong. But I, I feel like if you have a 4.5 or less, you actually are, you know, viewed as sort of a, a problematic passenger or driver. Oh, um, certainly, you know, I think Maureen Dowd. Uh, again, I encourage everybody to read her her New York Times op-ed about this, just because it's 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 very interesting to see someone from the New York Times just sort of grasping. Um, you know, how Uber works. Uh, I think she had something like a 3.5, which is by, you know, on a five point scale is above average, but is, you know, that's the, 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 the mark of death. Um, uh, if you're, if that's your actual rating on Uber. Now, but, um, go ahead. No, I was just, but congratulations on your five. That's Thank great. you. I, I, it's been a, a lifelong of, of hard work. And <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, obviously Maureen Dowd, you know, she made that, that famous, um, she wrote that famous piece about going to Colorado and actually trying a, you know, she never had pot before and had a pot brownie and actually um, ingested too much. Um, <laughs> So yeah. I wonder if she was using Uber in Colorado, if that affected well, her. Well, she she was making all the Uber drivers wait a long time, so you know you never know. Yeah, she may not have been aware of she. <laughs> you also are doing some work on drones right now. Yes, that that's definitely changing topics, but yes, drones are very exciting right now. What what is the fast? I mean, drones. I, it, it's just maybe because they they they've recently been introduced, but they are quite the hot topic. Why why is that? I want to say from a privacy perspective, I think privacy advocates and companies sort of recognize, see drones as sort of like a flashpoint simply because um, they are, I, I, you know, when we're talking about online tracking and reputation systems, these things are in some ways sort of ephemeral and non-tangible. Right. Uh, people just don't get online cookies. But people do understand, you know, hovering robots. Um, you know, we, yeah, looking at me, taking my picture. I don't like right. that. Yeah. I mean, just last week we had a, there was a story in California, where, you know, a guy with, shot down a drone on his neighbor's property. Um, so there's sort of a visceral reaction. And, and there are any number of, of people that recognize that, like, there's, there's a real potential with drones to really, you know, they, 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 
characterize, they make privacy tangible in a way that so many of these other new technologies don't. Um, and then, you know, but at the same time, they offer a whole host of new, uh, I guess, really interesting technical applications and benefits because of a number of issues. I mean, frankly, the, uh, the regulatory landscape around drones in the United States is fascinating. Um, you know, we're actually very far behind other countries on, on getting drones implemented into our national airspace. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's frankly astonishing. Um, so, you know, from a privacy perspective, Europe tends to be considered to be much stronger on privacy than the United States, but their privacy rules have not impaired the ability to get drones flying all across um, uh, the EU. Um, and, you, you know, you see examples already where, you know, Amazon is moving its sort of drone experiments to Canada simply because, you know, here we've got like, A, the FAA is, has been very reluctant to move on drones because of safety issues. And, right. and privacy advocates have sort of jumped on this to sort of say, all right, and in addition, you're not going to get them, you're not going to get them airborne until we deal with privacy stuff. So actually, um, right now, uh, I believe the, the NTIA uh, which is a, a government agency within the Department of Commerce, is, is hoping to sort of bring together industry, uh, the FAA, and privacy advocates to sort of hammer out how drones can be used for personal and commercial use. And then, you know, obviously this is getting a little bit far afield, but what, what people get really sort of worried about with drones is, is government use of drones and, and law enforcement use of drones. Right. That that is the concern, and, the whole Fourth it, Amendment issue. Exactly, and um, uh, Jay Stanley at the ACLU puts it. He has this great term where he calls it policy making by procurement. And really, what we've seen has been uh, drones are really cheap. It's very easy for you know, a police department to buy a drone, put it in the backseat of a car, and you know, take it out, um, and without without actually creating any rules or guidelines before they do that. And so, you know, it's a technology that can be easily easily acquired, easily implemented before you actually think through the policies of it. Um, and so, you know, that has I certainly gotten a lot of advocates concerned. I think it's gotten the public concerned because um, we've certainly seen lots of different legislation across the country dealing with law enforcement access to drones. And that's actually trickled down into private sector use of drones, particularly since, I mean, as we see in places all over the place, if this information is collected by a company, it can probably be acquired by law enforcement in some capacity. Now, just for clarification, NTIA is the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. I'm just yes. um, I'm mindful about the use of acronyms. Thank largely, you, because I, can- I actually looked it up. I mean, I knew it was national. I thought, I thought it was technical, so I, you know, I was wrong. My first instincts were wrong. But I'm just mindful because of a story um, from Hazel Larry, who was President Clinton's Energy Secretary, who um, wanted to break kind of the Washington tendency to use acronyms. And so she put a jar on her desk and said, listen, anytime you use an acronym, you know, I want you to put a quarter in to this jar. Um, you know, I want, I want us to get beyond that Washington speak. So one guy said, okay, and he just put it in a 20 right, right there. <laughs> well, no, I mean, A, that's completely right. I mean, it's a terrible, a terrible sickness we have in the city with acronyms. And I have to thank you for looking it up because, frankly, I can never remember what it stands for. Hence why I use the acronym. And I was sitting here, um, like, like, grinding my teeth as I said it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, um, Joe, we're going to wrap up and you can tell us more about where we can find your information and, and more about um, the Future of Privacy Forum. But we're going to take a short break. Um, this is Ben and Kelly. We're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. 
Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Joe Jerome about the Future of Privacy Forum's study on the sharing economy. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to thank Joe as a true um, border, I guess, um, so I don't even know what we're called. Uh, yeah, I didn't know when it was Porter or Portian, but as a native of Davenport, which gave us the man who invented sliced bread, Joe showed a unique ability for slicing up this, this complex <laughs> issue in a way that was understandable. And um, so, Joe, uh, and just, just for listeners, if you want background on, on today's show, you can go to our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. We have Joe's bio and some information on the report. Um, but, Joe, tell us um, where, where people can find more information about you and anything coming up for the Future Privacy Forum. Well, we actually have a lot on our plate. Um, you can find more information about us um, at our website, futureofprivacy.org. Um, we're actually going to be revamping our website by the end of the month, so it might be much easier to find our materials if you wait until August. Um, in terms of other big issues that uh, I, I think people in in the, the tech space um, should be interested in, um, the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Communications Commission are both doing some are doing some exploratory work, and we're heavily involved in um, cross device marketing. So looking at how how people can be tracked across devices. So this is basically moving beyond internet cookies to sort of probabilistic and you know c- getting all of your screens onto one p- profile. So that's something we're, we're, we're going to be exploring throughout the rest of the summer and into the fall. Um, one thing that my, my colleagues would, would absolutely kill me if I didn't mention, we, are, we have a huge student privacy um, project. Student privacy issues are, are really big across the country. Um, and we will be having a, a student data privacy symposium in Washington, D.C., unfortunately, um, or fortunately, on uh, Monday, September 21st. And we also have been doing a bunch of ed technology boot camps around the country. People who are doing sort of ed tech startups can learn about privacy issues and just sort of the technology. And um, so we'll be doing one of those in San Francisco in the fall. 
Great. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us and I'll give my best to Jules. It's always a pleasure having you. Um, thank you. But, and it's been a great discussion. Thank you. So uh, we have a few shout outs as well um, in the time we have left. Um, first of all, a, a good friend of this, of this show has been the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, known as EFF to most people. And they are celebrating their 25th anniversary next week, um, July 16th in San Francisco. If you're in the area, um, check it out. They're having a mini conference and a party. So um, happy 25th to the EFF. Um, thank you for everything you've done for this show. Um, it wouldn't be um, right to not mention that um, on Sunday we were all were partying like it was 1999. And it was thrice as nice as the U.S. women won the third World Cup first since um, 1999 um, with the dramatic shot by Brandy Chastain that won it last time. Um, but a great game and a great effort by the team and congratulations to all. It was the most um, viewed soccer game in U.S. history. So um, not just men and women, just total. And uh, so they made us proud and congratulations. Um, also want to give a shout out to Domain Gang. They actually ran an article on our last show on domain thefts. So we appreciate the attention and um, it's a very important issue and I, they do a great job at covering that issue. Uh, if you have not familiar with it, check them out at Domain Gang. Um, so, and I want to make a plug for next week. We're going to be talking to Kim White from Popat and we'll be talking about a very controversial gag order. Um, that the Justice Department gave to uh, a prominent reporter what it means. And there's a lot of controversy about it. And Pope has been very active in discussing the gag order. And we've also been talking about um, ICANN changes to its who is rules and its potential implication on privacy. Um, we're going to be, um, so Ken will be here and we'll talk about that. Um, so definitely got a great week ahead for you. And I um, hope you have a great week ahead for yourself. Do have um, a couple other things I'd like to highlight. Um, there is one bit of breaking, couple bit of breaking news besides the um, stock market and the New York Stock Exchange um, freezing trading. Um, also, breaking news this morning was the uh, appeal of the Washington Redskins to reverse the the U.S. Patent and Trademark determination that it was um, the trademark of the Redskins was offensive. They appealed and they, into U.S. District Court and lost. Definitely a major development. So the, the Redskins will, will have to appeal that further to the Court of Appeal and ultimately the Supreme Court if they want to preserve the right to trademark and um, and have the you know exclusive rights to that name. Um, basically, you know, U.S. trademark law does not permit um, trademarking anything that is offensive. And you know, over history, it's been determined that the the, the Redskin name is offensive. Um, I, I can speak to this somewhat as a, as a former Washingtonian. I was actually in Washington during the Gibbs years when they they won three Super Bowls and was quite excited about the team. You know, if you know the history of the name, they weren't always called the Washington Redskins. They were actually once the Boston Braves, and then they moved to Washington. The an owner who had a, a, a history of racism, um, you know, changed it to um, Redskin. And he, he was the last, uh, the Redskins were the last team to hire an African-American player. He said, well, um, if the NAACP hires a white person, I'll hire uh, an African-American um, player as well. So, you know, the, the, the franchise doesn't have the best um, history on race. Um, the, the term actually, unlike other um Unlike other you know, names such as Braves or Chiefs, you know, this actually refers literally to the skin color of someone, and so it, you know, it is somewhat different in terms of pros approach. And you know, they're, they're in Washington D.C., the nation's capital. I think um, they should be a little more sensitive. I think too on the issue of race. And but frankly, for a franchise that's been as badly run as it has under you know, Mr. Snyder. Um, here's a great opportunity to rebrand and have, you know, the city loves this team like you would not believe and sell a whole bunch of new merchandise as they change the name to whatever it is. Um, so whether it's, you know, Washington Senators, Generals, you name it. And so I, I just think it makes business sense to change the name. But we will see what happens there. 
Um, definitely a, a lot of discussion, a lot of people are concerned that we're being overrun by political correctness. But, you know, the name does have somewhat of a checkered history. Um, so, but um, I think that's all we have for today. And um, so join us next week when we are talking about a, a very controversial Justice Department move to order a, a reporter, um, to a gag order. And just the interplay of you know criminal investigations and free speech and a free in a free press. Always, we love to have Popat. That's a great blog. Um, if you don't follow it, um, definitely check it out. It's very interesting, very provocative. So, but we would back here if you have any questions. Um, we'd like your feedback. Check us out on the web or Cyberlaw Radio and on the. Twitter and uh, cyberlawradio.com and cyberlawradio.wordpress um, is the blog. Um, definitely check us out and give us your feedback. Also, if you want information on our services at the Internet Law Center, check us out at internetlawcenter.net. Always, we provide a lot of services, and we're actually just um, filing a major complaint on dealing with cyber caging, something I will talk about on another show. But I want to thank um, our great guest, Joe Jerome, a true Davenporter at heart and uh, the great organization, uh, Future Privacy Forum. Um, but next week, join us. We'll be have Popat and uh, interesting discussion about um, the right of free speech and, crim- and to the extent it conflicts with criminal investigations. Um, so this is Bennett Kelly. Quarters adjourned. Have a great week. Um, all the best to you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.